Welcome back to Are You For Real with Sarah Frick and Carter Foxworth. Carter is now my co-host. And today we are sitting down with Molly Feening from Baby Aiders and Red Clay Hot Sauce. Molly, thank you so much. Thank you for, for having me. Driving across town to sit with us. <laughs> <laughs> um, so give us a little bit of background about yourself. Because I, I mean, I love when I don't know basically anything about people because I get to learn so much about them. And then also our audience gets to learn as we learn. I love it. Well, I'm a born and raised New York City girl who landed in Charleston and married um, a Southern boy who I met in college. And um, he was in the military. He was a pilot for the Marine Corps. And so when we started living at all these little bases um, in rural or big bases in rural small towns across the South, I knew I'd have to sort of be an entrepreneur to jump around and, and, and kind of be that military wife for the, the eight years we committed to. Um, and so that's how we started Babyators, which was aviator shades for babies and kids. And that um, turns 10 in May. Um, and that's sort of really where I developed my experience and knowledge in consumer packaged goods. Um, and then uh, stepped in as CEO of Red Clay two years ago, um, uh, even though my husband actually, we, we initially invested in it um, as silent equity partners four years prior, but stepped in to sort of take it to the next level two years ago. And it's been my main gig ever since then. And it's a blast. Yeah. And it's delicious. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so baby eaters, all, my kids all have them. Yay. Like seriously, before I even knew you lived in town um, or had connections, I mean, they are so adorable. And my, a client of mine was recently up in the Highlands and in the gift shop there, I believe. She, they're, they're sold there and mm -hmm. she got my daughter Della like the cutest like John Lennon looking ones I love and it and they are so cool <laughs> I mean they really are they're awesome thank you what's like the story behind that how did you think of that idea um so with with Ted being an aviator, we spend a lot of time outside, you know, watching jets. And there's a tradition in the military where when the when the squadron's gone on deployment and the, the families return, they're allowed to go out to the flight line and watch the jets. So the, the aviator actually in the plane is issued aviators by the military to protect their eyes. And we were on the ground watching these planes fly in after they were, you know, traveling somewhere. And all these kids are squinting. I can't see the jets. I can't see dad. I can't see mom. And I, you know, remarked that to my husband that that was sort of ironic in retrospect and he was like well we should make them and call them babyators and I giggled and I knew I like chills <laughs> right it's crazy it, it was all about first and foremost the brand name like my husband came up with the name and I was I laughed and we knew there was an opportunity there and we had talked we had good friends from college who were living in Atlanta and consulting and McKinsey at Bain and they were constantly on planes never together and really one of them wanted to do something different um, and entrepreneurial so that they could see each other as a married couple and um, we brought brought it to them and um, the consulting background in them were both like, well, let's, uh, let's analyze the market. And so we, you know, interviewed a thousand moms and dads about what's out there, what they like, what they don't like, and learned a lot about how to kind of carve our own niche space at a, um, you know, you had the junkie sort of um, impulse buys with SpongeBob SquarePants mm -hmm. at Walmart. And then you had the, like junior Gucci's that were like a hundred bucks, but right. there like weren't. nothing in the middle. Exactly. And so we started at that $20 price point, eventually came out with a higher line at a $40 price point too, but we, you know, we learned a lot through kind of talking to customers before we even, um, be, before we even, you know, went to a factory. And now 10 years in, we've sold 4 million pairs over the life of our business. Oh We're at Neiman's and Saks and Dillard's and Nordstrom and, um, retail in 35 countries. So, so that's, that's incredible. So do you have a, a back, uh, that's your background marketing 
it wasn't. I was an engineer and computer science major in college. Yeah. Worked for IBM. So you're really dumb. My my, <laughs> my dream was to be an international spy, and I moved to DC to pursue my dream. And that's where the first weekend there, I remet Ted, who I met in college, and we, you know, was sort of fell madly in love. And I was engaged four months later, and Aww. never actually got and to. And you were living in small towns in rural. Yes, and we moved to Meridian, Mississippi, and I used to say, "You make your own fun in Meridian, Mississippi." Right. <laughs> the Outback Steakhouse is the is the right. Is the main Maine and Maine. Yeah. And don't get me wrong, like the Bloomin' Onion is, is an amazing appetizer. Um, <laughs> we had a lot of those. But um, it was it was really fun. Um, but definitely, you know, you have you see a lot of military wives doing things that can plug and play. So you have the teachers, physical trainers, occupational therapists, um, people who can kind of work wherever. Right. Um, and so for me, you know, I wanted to do something I could take with me. And so entrepreneurship was just a natural fit for my personality. That's awesome. Yeah. So when you guys first, did you like have someone come and help back the company or did you just, because that's like big, those are big sells to those those wholesale yeah. accounts. So yeah. it's literally started with the, the two couples. We committed to put the money in to buy that minimum, you know, quantity that China would allow. It was actually right. Taiwan. We were working with a family owned business in Taiwan at the time who we since outgrown. But um, we found them through Alibaba or some sort of, you know, our, our partners were Emory business students. And so um, <clears throat> they had friends who were doing product um, businesses and we just, you know, used our network and asked, does anyone know, a, you know, a pl plastic injection molding factory? We wanted to do something um, as, um, non-toxic as possible, knowing it's going in kids' mouths and on mm. their skin. And so we were looking for that um, most durable, sort of cleanest ingredient. And we found a, a you know, lead-free, phthalate-free um, kind of rubber that actually bends and twists and is super soft on the skin. And so this particular... Like break as easily. And exactly. Too, right? And this yeah. particular factory had to be, this particular ingredient had to be made at a plastic injection molding factory. So it narrowed down who we could work with. We found a Taiwanese um, manufacturer that was his family owned business and literally drew on a napkin and kind of mailed them pictures of the silhouette we wanted. And an aviator is a classic silhouette. So we weren't like remaking the, the mold of the design, um, uh, but we wanted it in sort of, you know, a little bit of a cooler, nothing too twee and precious, but something that like a smaller version of what an adult would make. Yeah. Um, and so, it, you know, the brand really sort of the name is the differentiator, not the fact that it was anything out of the box in terms of um, an invention or something kind of, you know. I new. feel like people that are listening are like, you have the people have these ideas and they're like, I don't even understand how you can get to that next step. Like, well, how'd you use your network to find that person that could do the mold? So if people are listening and have some idea what, like, you know, where, where do you even start? I guess you just, totally. I like to say, so for me, there's not like one decision that makes or breaks. It's more like you're just committing to decision after decision. After like decision. you're going to do it. Exactly. And I know both of you know this kind of owning your own business. It's like you wake up and what's the fire I have to put out today. Right. And so in the beginning it's like, all right, what's in front of me? I got to get my product. I got to get somebody to make it. Okay. What else? I have, I have an, a label, I have an, a name I like, but now I need a logo and I need a mm -hmm. website. I need to trademark that logo. And so you just have to write a list of, you know, what is the step-by-step -step kind of next thing like you have to do. Like what's tangible today, what's tangible tomorrow. Exactly. And right. if you think about everything you have to do, you're you just going to like go cry in a corner and yeah, like drink a bottle of wine. Experience <laughs> that. <laughs> but if you think like for me, it's like, what do I have to do right now to take that to business the next that step. one baby step further? And then I can 
it's palatable. I can manage that. I do that. And for me, my goal is I, I have, I, you know, I have a little postcard where I wake up in the morning and I write the three things I have to do. That like not what's the most pressing, what's your most recent email, but what is the most important three things you can do today? And I make sure to do those first so that when I go to sleep, I'm like, okay, fine. I like, you I did love those. that. I moved yeah. it that little much further, you That's know? That's cool. Yeah. Um, so once we had the, the product, we said oh, it took about, call it 10 or 12 grand per couple to like buy everything, get a website, which was bare bones. For us, we also just launched like right after the 2008, nine recession. And mm -hmm. so we were scrappy. We were not investing a lot of money on the front end. We found a coder in Bogota who didn't speak English. And I was, you know, Google translating my English to Spanish to like write, you know, I, I drew it on a PowerPoint presentation what I want the website to look like. And we spent, I think, call it $3,000 on the site at the time. Which um, now looking back that you do other projects, you're probably like, oh man, that was a steal. Totally. <laughs> and then a year later, we worked with Charleston and Blue Ion and it spent $30,000 on redoing the site. But in the beginning, it was like, let's just proof the concept, get that first 8,000 pairs of shades over here, sell them, and then use that money to kind of grow as opposed to constantly feeding a business that we didn't know if it was going to work. And so the first shipment that came in, and how did you get it out to the... Because this was before kind of the social media... It was. It was so 2010. It was... Um sort of still the height of like the Us Weekly People magazine mm -hmm. before a lot of celebrities were on Instagram or at least very vocal on Instagram. So there was definitely, um, uh, you still had the sort of power of the celebrity in, in many ways. And we um, <clears throat> sort of, or gatekeepers to the celebrities, I guess I should say. Um, we launched thinking it was all going to be direct to consumer. And um, one tip, so one of my, my uh, husband's college roommates is the founder of Warby Parker. And they launched Warby probably a year and a half before us, and we had drinks with him uh, and his girlfriend at the time. Um, and I, you know, I was like, "Dave, you're disrupting the optical industry. We're making baby sunglasses. Right. What, what did you like learn that you might be useful for us a year and a half behind you?" And he said, "From day one, no matter what, you want to spend some marketing budget on PR and earned media, not just paid media. You want to get the brand out there to the right people through a trusted source." Um, and so we put aside some money and hired a PR firm. And within a few weeks, we were on, this is when Newsweek Magazine was still a magazine. We were in Newsweek Magazine and they featured us as one of their like 30, um, the 30 essentials, new essentials of the summer. Aren't you so excited? Yeah, I mean, I literally. I've been like huge. freaking out. <laughs> no, I have, I have, but my favorite excitement story is, is um, when we, uh, so I, we started the company. I was on bed rest with pregnancy. I had a, a rough first term, first term with Sawyer, who's now um, nine. And so I was on bed rest, literally just like working, you know, because I couldn't do anything else, um, calling on stores. But uh, when we had him, um, we were uh, we were in. I had a cesarean, and so I was I was laying back, um, sleeping. My husband was on the air mattress next to me, and I couldn't sleep after I fed him at like two in the morning in the hospital. So it was like night two, and I'm reading Us Weekly and. It's Mariah Carey had just had twins with yeah. Nick Cannon. And I opened the page to their like nursery spread, and one of the twins is in a corner with baby eaters holding like a oh plush God. air guitar. Like, oh <laughs> I started screaming. My husband like bolts out of bed and says, like, What's wrong? Yeah. Are the baby okay? Are you okay? And I'm You're like, like We're our other baby. Exactly. So that was like my favorite, most excitable moment. But when we were in Newsweek, all of a sudden stores started calling us oh, and cool. said, We want to carry you. So we went from like, We're only going to sell direct to consumer to wow, like all these 
cool children's boutique accessory boutique clothing accessory boutiques work you know want to carry us too and so we we switched our model just purely by kind of people reacting to us so what you think you're going to be you mm-hmm. sort of it's all about just sort of flexing and pivoting based on where the market is I think that's such such good advice for anybody like I mean I know just in my career like um started you know, having studios one way to just, you have to watch the trends and grow mm-hmm. and like things change. And totally. if you're completely stuck and you're like, this is how we're going to do it, it's not going to work. Totally. Um, so once you start getting these bigger orders, then do you like that, that for me is like how you wrap your mind around that. Then do you have to hire someone to like start doing that or? Totally. I think within six months we hired our first hire um, and she was uh, mainly sort of fielding customer service questions and sort of answering inquiries because we just didn't have the bandwidth. Um, but then, yes, yeah, slowly we built the team up to um, call it. I think we overhired really quickly. We went for two or three years to sort of maybe 12 or 13 people. And being a seasonal business, we sell 70% of our shades in mm-hmm. three or four months a year. So mm-hmm. they're they're busy when it's high season, but in, in off season, it was just quiet and right. we didn't need that many people. And so we scaled back a little bit and found our sweet spot now 10 years in, we're a team of um, seven plus and the co founders. No, that we're headquartered in Atlanta. Okay. Right. But with COVID, everyone sort of, you know, we have we have one person here. It doesn't know. really. Yeah, yeah, it's now a sort of a remote team. Even the, the people in Atlanta are all just meeting on Zoom because Atlanta's still pretty closed down. But uh, we have a, we have an office in Atlanta, and um, and so I prefer as the way I like to lead because people management is is something that is, you know one of the de-energizing aspects of a CEO for me. I like to keep my team really small, just like top performer superstars, and then hire vendors. So like outsource fulfillment, outsource PR, outsource... Um, customer service even sometimes, you know, and, and find those right partners who are experts at their niche Mm -hmm. and then let your team manage them as opposed to having a big team with a lot of personal politics and then a place to put them. And Mm -hmm. that is not my sort of fun style. I like to just sort of really just like a plus generalists and then let them run. That's awesome. So what's your like day to day with baby eaters like now before we switched? So I, when I stepped, so, you know, with, with, with red clay, we first, I literally first tasted the sauce. So unlike with Baby Eaters, where it was this cute name, do we have a concept? Red Clay was, I tried this sauce and was like, this is the best thing I've ever had. I want to help this guy just because it's delicious. And I didn't even like hot sauce. And so it wasn't an intention of like, let's build something big. It was like, Jeff's great. I want to support him. Did what can I do? Did he come to you or you were like at his... No, we just tried the sauce. So at Le- our, Didn't they start at Leon's? They, they, he was, he launched at Leon's, but he, he created the sauce when he was chef at The Ordinary. And, um, we, uh, literally I was pregnant. So Fox, my second son is now five. I was pregnant with him. All I wanted that entire pregnancy was vodka martinis and oysters, <laughs> neither of which I could have. So our first date out was to the ordinary bar and we had vodka martinis and oysters. And the, the bartender was like, do you want hot sauce with your oysters? And I was like, no, I'm not really a hot sauce person. Ironically, in retrospect, tried it turned to my husband and I'm like, this is the best thing I've ever had. And I don't even like hot sauce typically. It was like, you need to go meet him. So he went back in the kitchen and, or Jeff came out, but they met, you know, and gave him his card. He said, if you ever want to incorporate or bring this to market, like call us, we do this for a living. And he called Ted a week later and I, you know, we gave him call it whatever, some number 10, 15,000, just a small percentage of ownership to help get him off the ground. And we're literally out of just so, sort of silent money, not really involved in the day to day for four years. And in 2018, 
you know, so Fox was older, Baby Eaters, my team really was sort of running the day to day. And I found myself missing those newborn baby days of a business. Like mm -hmm. I, when it comes to optimization, you lose me when it's like, is our margin 48.5 versus right. 40? I'm like, yeah, you're uh, like, how do we get, you know, going? yeah. But for me, it's like, like big hustle. picture. Yeah. yeah. It's like, who's our, what's our logo? What's our website? What's our color palette and font? Who's our, what's our sales channel? And who's that buyer we need to meet to get into that, you know? And so I found myself getting in the weeds with my team in a way that was not empowering for them. Like, what's the Instagram caption today? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, they're like, yeah. leave me alone. They're like, yeah. we got it. <laughs> so <laughs> I quickly saw that I wanted to let them run and they were doing a phenomenal job. And I also in parallel had been reading about Sir Kensington's ketchup and it, it sold to Unilever for something like $140 million on call it 15, 20 million of revenue, a multiple you would never get in kids retail. And a friend of mine owns a keto paleo sauce company here in, in town called New Primal. And I called him and was like, yeah, we inter Sarah interviewed him yeah, for I love the show. Jason. He's oh, amazing. So awesome. He's a mentor. Green. He had me sobbing. Yeah. yeah he yeah. was, he was such Gosh, a good, was he's, so... he's on our board. He's been a huge <sighs> instrumental I love factor him. in red clay success. Shout out to Jason. Yeah. Yep. Jason's Season the one. best. Yeah. But he, um, so he's like, no, this is legit. The way this industry works is you have these big behemoth, like, Craft and Unilever, McCormick—the way that they expand into new categories—they don't have internal R and D. They they acquire interesting businesses with a, a great recipe, engaging consumers, um, you know, beautiful brand, whatever they need, and so they're willing to pay that multiple because they get efficiencies of scale to like roll it out to every grocery shelf. Um, and I was like, huh, okay. So Jeff had built it um, to this sort of very loved local cult artisan Charleston hot sauce on all the right restaurant tables here, supported by the chefs. I just found the chef community here, just super wonderful and supportive of one another. And they, they were great with red clay. And then, <clears throat> but we hadn't really expanded beyond there and not into grocery and not online. And so I pitched Jeff, like, what if I step in as CEO? And, and he was like, great, I just want to make the sauce. If you want to take this national, mm -hmm. let's do this. And gave me more ownership and, and, and the CEO role and uh, on the condition that we rebrand um, and launched with a new site. And a month later, Jeff and I and Amanda, we were just talking about Amanda Greeley, um, drove to Greensboro, North Carolina and sat down in front of the Fresh Market buyer with like a bottle of sauce and a PowerPoint <laughs> deck. And we were like, here we go. And they took this, they took this chance on this new Southern brand and rolled us out to every door the following May. That um, that was our first big grocery account. Yeah, it was, it was um, amazing. Really exciting. Like, what does that feel like for you? Like, as just like a human, a woman, um, you know, just a person. It feels amazing. It, in the moment we were sitting there and there are all these, there are all these brokers and people have like suitcases and everyone just looks in their suits and, no, we, like, hot sauce. and we were just like, we are amateurs. <laughs> this is the amateur show. Um, but we believed in our product. And so for me, I, you know, I know if I can get people to try this sauce, it's so good. And we, the way we make it, it's cold pressed thoughtfully, you know, it's thoughtfully crafted. It's not made like anyone else makes hot sauce today. So I, if I can get in the room with a person and explain the story and they meet Jeff, who's so salt of the earth and real and just like family man and good, good person that I'm confident. It's more just like, you know, I mean, like you said, the hustle, it's just hard work and yeah. it's so, 
it, when you hear the news, I mean, we were screaming yeah, when we yeah, got yeah, Fresh yeah. Market. And then we were screaming, and then it was like, oh, crap, now we need to... Now we got to do this. Now we got to make a lot <laughs> of hot sauce. Now we need to have tens of thousands of cases, and Jeff is still hand-bottling, like, in Florence, South Carolina. So right. we need to, like, get our get our button gear on the op side. Right. So you can celebrate for a, min- a minute, and then you have to, like, you Back know, perform. Yeah. Yes. And, okay, so speaking of that, just because I know a lot of our listeners, like, this will be, we'll pitch this as like an entrepreneur, like, and there's so many young people that are wanting, especially in Charleston, you know, they want to do something for themselves. And, you know, can you talk about a little bit, maybe like, I don't want to say like the pitfalls, but like the places where maybe you look back and you're like, I would have done it this way instead of that way or... Oh my gosh, like all the time, you know, and I think for, you know, we were talking about the beginning of this conversation, like the key is being nimble and pivoting and flexing and not, not going down with the ship. You know, it's being, being, you know, you were saying kind of the way that it evolves of how you teach or your studios right. or how people, you know, interact with your, your content and, and work is constantly evolving. And so I think it's a, a willingness to not be too attached to the way things are being done because everything is always evolving and changing. Um, and and I actually was listening to a friend of mine did a podcast. Her name is Sarah Lewis. Um, and she did a podcast with Brene Brown recently. She's a Harvard professor. And she talked about the word failure. Um, actually, until the 19th century was a banking term. It wasn't applied to humans. Mm-hmm. Um, and only in the 20th century did we absorb the word failure as it relates to like what we could do in our lives. Mm-hmm. And in reality, there is like if we could only change that back so that it's not, there's no such thing as failure. It's all just like growth opportunity. Mm -hmm. And so don't not getting stuck in like, Ooh, that went wrong, but what did I learn from it? How do I do differently? And, um, and so I think I try to take that mentality where like, you know, like for instance, we just had a, you know, huge, exciting news. So fresh market was our first major the following year in 2019, um, whole foods picked us up into two regions and then 2020, um, uh, we heard that Publix was going to launch in Jeez. all doors. So January, so like 1,200 doors, you know, going from $70,000 business, you know, as a cult local sauce to 300 grand to a million point one to now three and a half million for this year. And, and then, so all this exciting news, Publix rolls out, um, we're, we're um, on every door. It's, it's rolling. It's amazing. And we hear that one of our um, lots lots from Publix had a faulty cap in it. Um, so we have to pull back this lot, like tens of thousands like how of much, cases. Okay, I was going to say, what does a lot Ten, mean? Yes. So a lot is a big pallet of sauce, tens of thousands of cases. And thankfully Publix was like, we're, you know, we're a new account. We've been on the shelf three weeks. And one of the things we sent to them has like a, a cap that's not properly one sealing. One faulty cap. Yes. No, a faulty cap across the oh. wall. Okay, yeah, sorry, I they was not all understanding. Need that. to be shipped back yeah. to us. So it goes from again celebrating this is our dream come true to oh my god, yeah. like like thank God Publix is willing to give us a second shot. But like you know they're like get get your house in order, right? Yeah. Um, so and if this were to... Cholula, it'd be a no brainer. If this, is, I mean, a, a no big deal at all. Or like Tabasco because they're these huge established businesses and they've got these long standing relationships. But again, this is a big grocery store taking a risk on a small growing brand, and they don't have to, right? And so we had to like you know, show how hyper-professional we are in handling this, being proactive, getting it back from them, eating those costs, literally spending days in a warehouse with the whole team going through and, and, and you know, pulling aside anything that has that lot number and then, you know, remaking it and reshipping it. And we just heard that, you know, they're putting us back on shelves in April. And so that was like an oh shit moment yeah. for months of like, 
you know, it's all about how you handle yourself, showing that like you're taking it very seriously. You're going to go above and beyond and especially something that's a consumable where people are eating or drinking it. You want to have to like go, you know, no chances, take mm -hmm. no chances at all. Um, and, um, and so that's one example, but there will always be hiccups and, and challenges. And I think it's just a real commitment to persevere. A friend of mine was saying recently, she was like, I think success in small business is just like, who can last the longest? <laughs> like, persevere the longest. And women are really, we're made for that. Like we, we handle pain better. We handle like that, that is what we're, so I find like the female entrepreneurial angle, it's actually sort of really sort of ingrained in our DNA to do really well, to just sort of like handle difficulty and like, you know, like the, the grit and get through it and overcome. Totally. And just, and keep flipping it. Mm -hmm. Like I, there's, and I'm going to totally butcher this, but the word, um, crisis, I get in Chinese, however they say it is actually means opportunity. I love and I've that. always loved that because I think I, I like, I know personally for me when I've been in like the bottom of the barrel, like, am I going to do this? Like questioning and da, da, da And then I'm like, just fucking do it. You know, it totally, and it's not that it's easy, but it's like, it, it, wor it works. Mm -hmm. And it takes, like you were saying, like some grit. You got to get in there and get in the warehouse and check every cap. You know, yes. it's like today I was in the studio, like cleaning floors with one of my girls. I'm like, I will be cleaning floors for the rest of my life. You know, like <laughs> fishing things out of the toilet. Like it's like, you, I feel personally, and I know Carter can relate with our business. Like you can't be above anything. Totally. No. And people want to see that humility so much. Yes. And that's what makes it more focused and more boutique and more. Well, and it also makes it a joy to work with you and for you, I think, like, to see you. Okay, look, you know, Sarah's with me and we're cleaning the floors and the bathrooms like like she's in it with me. You know, yeah. I feel like if I were all my staff is laughing right now. <laughs> yeah, they're no. like Carter's in it. <laughs> no, if I were like, if my team was going through cases and cases of bottles and I'm, I'm and you're just sitting, sitting there watching, you're not a good leader. Yeah, yeah, that is not sustainable. They, I mean, who, you know, who wants to work for that? It's like, but no, when get you your care about it yeah. so much, when it's yours, it's like, you, how could you can't imagine just sitting on the sideline watching, being right. like, totally. chop chop. You know, you got to inspire others to want to do totally. it. Totally. So talk about that too, being a leader. Being a leader. And so for me, one of my missions and, and something I want to do, you know, after we sell red clay, you know, is, is bringing the feminine energy back to leadership. I feel like our society and our businesses and our government institutions and everything is so dominated with male energy. And it's not like woman versus man in terms of parts. I'm talking about like every human having like the yin yang of like feminine energy within. And like, mm -hmm. we've let the masculine energy, the do, the go, the dominate, the control Take run over. our lives and run society for hundreds of years. And everything is just breaking. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, and so I think here's an opportunity for all of us to sort of bring those feminine traits of collaboration and compassion and humility and, and nurture and grounding energy to business and so, you know, is it okay to like, you know, just, and, and, and like the day to day, how you, how you behave and how you treat your team, um, and working together as opposed to, um, sort of top down for me is, is just how I like to work. And mm -hmm. I feel like I'd Same, like to yeah. give examples of that going forward beyond and sort of inspire more people to sort of bring that feminine energy to CEOs or whatever kind of leadership role they take. Because if everything's like crumbling now, why don't we try yeah. something different? Like Phoenix rising from the ashes. You yeah. Know? Well, I also feel like, just to your point, because I feel I work in a, we work in a mainly dominated, like female yeah. energy anyway, but 
you know, I've always felt like that with my team. It's like, we're, you know, let's talk through this and, and we're on, we're in this together. Yeah. And I find that they want to work harder. They want, they respect, they respect me because I respect them. And they're yeah. proud of what where they work totally. and what they, it's theirs, like the studio Absolutely. is theirs too. It's not just yours. Right. Totally. And, and and with the public's example, with the cap, you know, we had to get on our phone with the co-manufacturer who made all of those sauces and put that cap on. And they, I could feel the energy on the call with them where this he, this male New Yorker owner of the, all these factories like comes defensive. at, he's immediately jump into defensive. Totally. Immediately like, this. we did this. And, and I started this call being like, we're partners. Mm-hmm. We are going to get through this together but we have to figure it out we're I'm in not it mad. together yeah, <laughs> yeah like this is I'm here to collaborate I am not here to penalize you mm-hmm. or come at you and point fingers I want to work with you and it completely changed the tone and now this guy asked to see if he, he could invest in our company you know right. he wants to he wants to be an owner of Red Clay he's like when's your next series round because yeah. like we have a family fund that like invests in these things so now he want, he he loved the way we approached Handled this it. so much that he actually wants to be on board with us right. financially too and so I think people really respond to like we're a team we're in this boat together absolutely because if you Let's come at attacking or like I did nothing gets solved because they're like I didn't do anything wrong and then you're like no something happened and nothing ever gets resolved but if you're just a team it's like Okay, yeah. we'll figure it out. If I came at it with the male energy of, no, it's you, you're paying for it, you're eating all Nothing of it. Nothing would have fi- happened. Yeah, and then he would have come back angrier, and then the, we would have broken the relationship. And with Publix, the company, right. Yeah, with Publix, with them. The com- I don't know if the company would have survived. Like, there's a lot of, um, you know, that sort of go, go, push, push, you know, like, like I versus we is sort of a, a ultimately in my mind a net negative mm-hmm. for everybody, you know? So, uh, and I love where this conversation is because I feel this so much and like Carter was just saying, like in our leadership in the studio and and just the bandwidth that we're, you know, that we're working with now, but with growth and things like that. How do you, because I, I think about this sometimes for myself, like how do you harness the control that mm-hmm. you had when you when he was coming and you were like, Okay, listen, yeah. we're, we're a team, right? Totally. Because I think sometimes it is, I, I can speak for myself because a woman sometimes, like when I'm negotiating leases or different things, like you got like six guys in suits that are looking at you, you know, and I'm like there in like a sports Sweaty. bra. Yeah, so <laughs> it's dripping sweat. And totally. I'm like, whoa, just like, and I love like what you said about the feminine energy because I feel so many times women they think that makes them weak mm-hmm. when I believe so much it's like where our power is, right? Like our power center is how we nurture and how we like can nourish conversations. Totally. Um, so do you ever feel, I don't want to say the word, like it's not like threatened, but do you ever feel the need to like take a moment, have a deep breath and go from there? Oh, every, every time for sure. And I, I in, as that, with that call as an example, I knew it was going to be a difficult call. And so I literally, before a call, will sort of meditate or just sit quietly for a few minutes and turn it over to the universe mm-hmm. or God or whatever you believe, you know? And I would, and I literally said, please like work through me. Just mm-hmm. let, like, t- like, let you talk for me. I'm here to sort of, you know, kind of let your will happen and like however this unfolds like I just need guidance right and so knowing that you're not alone in it is kind of really helpful and also just 
ultimately it be, like seeing the humanness. I think the other element about kind of what's so beautiful about the feminine energy and the way fe- women lead is it's a people first. Mm-hmm. You know, how are your families Why do doing? You not come how to the are works? you doing? I'm literally <laughs> like, she is speaking our language. I'm like, sister, okay. you and I talk the same language. I know. I was okay. like, I have I'm to like, come. come here, let me rock you. I have to come. <laughs> I mean, mainly because like one thing in, in terms of like fitting in my pie, the moment I had children and then these businesses, like, putting putting working out like is the thing Takes, that fell off my pie yeah, totally. it needs to return to my pie for my own mental well-being I think we need to talk about that at some point too just in terms of like I had a, a CEO coach once say to me he's like you need to view yourself as an elite athlete running a marathon how do you sleep eat train you know take care of yourself like the, what inputs do you let into your body what people do you let into your life all of those can affect how your a work. runner runs in the morning mm-hmm. right uh, like the, the Olympic race so this true. is your Olympic race you know and so being more mindful of that I need to actually bring go to the works and for sure. We'll be following I will be up with you to get you in a Sarah class. <laughs> but I I started that before I got on that call. I was like, I'm turning this over to you. I know it's gonna be hard. I need your help. In the moment, I he he came at it with that energy. Like I could feel he was upset. I could feel he was defensive. And I literally, I, you know, we we my husband and I in the past have been in and out through this beautiful couples counselor who we love, who I actually now just see one-on-one because I love her so much. But she said to me once, name it to tame it. Like call it out. If you acknowledge it, it sort of diffuses, let's say, air out of the balloon. Mm-hmm. So I literally said in the moment, kind of when I could feel that energy, I was like, I don't want this to be a contentious call. Mm-hmm. I'm feeling that energy and I want you to know, like, I want all of us to feel good here. And so I think even calling out, like, are you feeling defensive? I don't want you to feel defensive. I want you to feel secure and, and welcome. So sort of supporting in in this case with with this particular kind of man saying, you know, you know, I, I see this energy and I, I don't want this in the room right yeah. now. And he was like, no, it's not contentious. I'm just in it. But I think that changed the corner a little bit. We sort of rounded around like, mm-hmm. you know, beyond that. But there are examples where as a woman in business, you do want to lean on your masculine energy. And I think as an example, lease negotiation or um, salary negotiation, mm-hmm. women, you know, not wanting to rock the boat will say, oh yes, I'll take that. Thank you so much. Give me whatever you mm-hmm. offer. When I think, you know, you know, and the when I, when I work with women who I'm leading, I always train them. I'll give them a lower than than what I expect salary. And if they don't counter, I'll be like, no, 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 I actually want you to counter. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because ev- people offer, my dad is in real estate and he always says, never accept your first offer. People are going to the table with the first offer knowing they're going to have to negotiate further. Mm-hmm. And so with, as, a, as a woman, when you're negotiating your salary, you want to bring that masculine energy to the room and say like, men like, are expecting me to counter. I'm, gonna, I'm worth more than this, mm-hmm. right? And maybe they say no and that's fine. And then you take that first offer, but at least you just sort of tried a little and same with lease negotiation, or you just hire somebody who's really good at it and you don't have to do it. (laughs) That's the other option. Yeah, absolutely. I don't, I don't want to like fight insurance negotiation. So I get a really great insurance broker who can do that for me. And then he brings me the info that I need to know. And I think that's a a really good point too, is that knowing, you know, where your power lies and where you're absolutely being robbed of all your energy. Mm -hmm. Um, because like these, my team knows like there's certain things I'm really good at and certain things like I, I, I don't, I don't know any of my passwords. Totally. I always say everybody that works for me has great job security. They can <laughs> break into any everything. of my bank accounts, <laughs> any of my emails. They can <laughs> lock me out. Like, I love it. I love it. But, you know, and I think that comes with trusting too. Um, 
I feel like when you show, and I have a really great therapist too, um, but she, we know you just want to talk about her. I know. Her again. <laughs> I'm terrified. I, I, love her. I love her so much. I um, love her so much. But too. she always is like, you know, when I talk to her about me and my husband or certain things at work, she's like, Sarah, hit the vulnerability card, like right off the rip. And like, nobody can fight with that. Mm-hmm. You know, like expose your own heart, mm-hmm. like right there in the moment. That doesn't, that doesn't mean that you're weak. You're just saying, Hey, I see what's happening. And now can we go from this place? I love that. Um, which can be a, a bit challenging. I think when you've like, for so long been trying to like hold it all together, but it definitely works better than, than fighting the opposite. Yeah. No, it's a great point. And the point about like, you can't do it all. So as CEO or any kind of leader, knowing what energizes you, knowing what de-energizes you and delegating the things that de-energize you. So you don't burn out. Cause mm-hmm. if you end up giving away all the fun stuff that you love, and then you're looking at Excel sheets all day long and it's making you crazy, you'll burn out. You'll have to quit. You'll have to you know, step away and the company is worse for it. Right. So I think, I think, you know, hiring those people to fill in the roles that you really take away mm-hmm. the fun from the role and do the stuff. And of course, every job has grunt work. You're going to have to do some of that, mm-hmm. but by and large, do what you're good at, do what really kind of brings you joy because life is short and right. You know, absolutely. How do you, this will be like, I know you'll want to talk about this too, but how do you juggle it all with your children, with your husband? I know this is something Sarah and I talk about all the time. It's like, how do you do this and be an entrepreneur and you know, wear all the hats and work out and drink your lemon water and write down the things you're going to do today. I know. I know. know. um, You don't sleep. (laughs) (laughs) I do sleep. Sleep is actually, if I don't sleep, sleep is like very important to me. If I don't sleep, I don't function. So I'm like that person who has like a sleep routine and I'm asleep in bed, but like, unless if we're going out, we're going out. But if I'm at home. Tell us more about the sleep routine. Okay. Cause I feel like our listeners are into that kind of stuff. Okay. So I, if I, if we're not going out, um, and Charleston's very social, so we you know go out a fair amount. But on nights we go out, I get the boys. My my boys are five and nine, so one of them, the five year olds, will sleep by seven thirty. The nines will sleep by eight thirty, and then I, I'm basically in my room by like eight thirty. And maybe it's a bath or shower, and then reading in bed by like nine. Um, and the reading, trying not to look at screens, yeah. whether it's my phone, computer, so or TV. Hard. Um, and so I've given up TV basically when I became a CEO, other than when like once in a while a good show comes out and we like binge it, but by, you know, not really watching TV, um, and then reading a little bit and fall asleep by like nine 30 or 10 and then not looking at screens, the reading before bed and the sort of a shower or bath kind of right before sleep sort of, you know, bring winds you down and ma- and maybe like a nice cup of tea, a little something warm, um, kind of makes me nice and cozy. So that's, that's my sleep routine. Um, and the big thing is also no work after dinner. If I'm working, mm-hmm. I get into a zone and then I'm up at one in the morning worrying about my to-do list. So totally. I'll turn, I'll turn work off at the end of the day. You've gotten good go at that too. To like no s- screen. I, try. A li- I mean, until you go to bed, true, but from like five to seven, you don't yeah, really respond. Like six to eight. We just, John and I try to put our phones down cause he runs, he's a builder. So he tries to you're just, I, you see that one email before you're going to bed and then you're like, then you're, you're up all night stressed. You're worrying about and you're it. Like, yeah, totally. I know it's, it's the, the worst. constantly putting out fires. And I think like, you know, phones are like the worst and the best invention ever. Like yeah. back in the day, they'd like send a pigeon carrier and be like, we need help. <laughs> yeah. And you'd find out in a few days. And you'd be like, all right, I'm coming. And in fact, I once read, I once read, um, 
Napoleon wouldn't when it was when they were pigeon carriers or he was getting mailed by like his his um soldiers dropping it off to mm-hmm. the to the war front three weeks later he it would arrive and he wouldn't read a letter for two and a half weeks he it would sit knowing wow. that 80 percent of the problems would be, would be solved, solved by just the time he read about this. the letters which I think is pretty amazing oh, yeah um but back to your juggling but so the juggling and also we have a no phones in the bedroom policy and so That's our phones so stay smart. in the bathroom and so and I use my phone as my to-do list so I'll run into the bathroom and I'm like, oh, I forgot this. And I have to go like write it down or something. But um, that, that's another way we just don't end up kind of mindlessly what I would be like so, on Instagram uh-huh. and down my like ex-boyfriend's mother's account. Right, right, right. Like, How was her vacation? Yeah, yeah, seriously. <laughs> Not useful. Um, so waste of my time. Um, so I feel like the, the juggle for... You know, somebody said to me one recently, which I love, like, just because women can do it all doesn't mean that we should or want to. Mm-hmm. And I have stuck, like, there's no such thing as balance. And so for me, and I also feel like we, the death of us as women who work and, ha- and, and have kids or don't have kids is, is trying to multitask. Like, multitasking is the worst thing ever. And I want to I write a book about the return of, like, unitasking or, mm-hmm. like, true presence and focused attention on whatever you're doing right in front of you. So if I'm working, I am on and I'm working. Mm-hmm. And if I'm with my kids, my phone is not on, my work is not on, I'm not responding to emails, I am, like, with them. Mm-hmm. And so I find that I'm able to, again, like, what goes into my pie? I use pie as a metaphor. Like, what are the different pieces of my pie that make my life joyful and happy? My husband, my kids, my your girlfriend's work and then me time, spiritual time, you know, and that's really sort of it. And if it's not in there, I don't do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then sleep and then, um, but making sure that whatever I'm doing in the moment, it is all I'm focused on. Mm-hmm. And do you feel like you get more, di- like, I'll feel like, and I know you probably feel like this way with children, which I don't have children, but I can imagine you're answering emails and you're playing with them and then neither one is really getting your full attention. So you maybe get more done when you just set it aside. And I feel like my kids feel the energy better. And then I feel like I at least gave it my all as opposed to For if I'm doing everything of- half-assed, I feel like I, I, I less happy with what I did for them. Mm -hmm. Like I don't, I want my kids to feel like I am there sitting, making a Lego Mm -hmm. truck with them and I'm in it with them. And then when I'm at work, I'm, I don't have, and that's been a lot harder to do with COVID, especially when the kids were home where it was just like juggle, get through, survive. (laughs) This is horrible. But now that there's back some routine and they're back in school, I'm able to, when they're out of the house, because I work from home, focus on wholly being there for work. And then the other thing is I had my doctor actually say to me, I need you to take three or she's like, you work so intensely. I need you to take three or four days a month and go on that girl's trip to Miami. Mm -hmm. Like we were just talking about so that you come back. So that's where the pie of like the girlfriends is filled and you come back refreshed and excited and, and renewed or Mm -hmm. else you're going to burn out or else there is disease in your future or else like, so we, you know, being really careful about time away from work, time away from our kids so that we are like happier and more like balanced, Mm -hmm. giving yourself the freedom to do that. Like that's not a bad thing. And now a word from our sponsor. Looking to buy or sell in the Charleston area? We got you. You gotta check out my girl Audra Walters from Front Porch Properties. Audra works with both buyers and sellers, but what sets her apart from other agents is she will stage your listing for free, zero dollars. There is no charge to the sellers. This helps tremendously, especially if you are selling a rental or a second home that has no furniture or hasn't been loved in years. 
It also helps if you live in the house and have a large brown ugly leather couch. She can fix it. Staging homes to sell for more money and more quickly. So why not sell with Audra? There's more. She offers free 3D virtual tours and drone videos with all her listings. It is key to get your home on social media and Audra rocks that out. You can find Audra on Instagram at Audra underscore Walters underscore CHS or frontporchpropertiessc.com. You can also always find her in my classes, turning on the freaking fans, Audra. <laughs> so check her out today. She's an awesome woman and she is super motivated. Absolutely. And I think that's such a, you know, a poignant thing to say too, because I feel like as mothers, it's like, you know, the mom guilt thing is so very real or mm-hmm. it is for me. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm like working with the woman that I work with too. She's like, you know, I believe as a working mother or just a human in general, but with the children, it's like, for me, it's going to always be a quality over quantity time, mm-hmm. right? Like I'm not going to be here making cookies when you get home from school. Most mm-hmm. days I don't get home till like 4.30. But if I can give you like a tent, that's all they want. Totally. That's all they want. Like I know when I'm trying to do things and they're talking to me, it, it's just they lose their shit and then I lose my shit and then everybody's crying. <laughs> yeah. I'm calling Carter. I'm like, let's nope. go get drinks. I yeah, get totally. out of this place. Cereals for dinner. Yeah. And, and my nine-year-old is so astute. He'll, he'll call me out when I don't do it, which I love. He'll yeah. be like, mommy, because we'll do board games after my little one is asleep we'll play a board game with the older one my mm-hmm. husband and I and, and he's like this is family time don't look at your phone yeah you know and I'm like oh yes yeah. thank you yeah yeah yeah, I love yeah. You. yeah you're like remember that when you have a phone yeah yeah and um and I do also feel like um something you just said really resonated me with me about like um it's gone it'll come back um the time away like the mom quality over quantity. Oh yeah. Oh, just that. Um, I so my mom worked um, and was was member of the first co-ed training program at at Chase Bank globally. So the first group of women who were um, not just sort of the you know secretary reception, but in mm-hmm. like the the training program. And I loved having a female role model who worked, and so I kind of really relished the fact that my boys are growing up with a working mama role model. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you know if they choose to marry and or marry a woman, you know, giving her the freedom to do that if she wants Mm -hmm. to. Um, And so there is beauty in them seeing a working role model Mm -hmm. too, not just, you know, I think as long as the most important thing, no matter whether you work or don't work, is does the kid feel loved? Like, you know, and so... um, I've, I've had that conversation. I feel like I've had it with you. I don't even remember. But like, I'm like... Okay, are my kids loved? Are they safe? Are they fed? Are they warm? Mm-hmm. You've had this conversation with everyone. Yeah, because I'm like, that's it. Like, that's it's all they need. these fundamentals, you know? And I'm like, they don't have this. And like, way, like, I have um, four year old twins and then a seven year old. And my four year old twin boy is already riding a bike without training wheels. And my seven year old is just more timid. Like, he's, and I'm like, I, I, I have failed him. He cannot ride a bike without training wheels. And it's like, no, that's ridiculous. Yeah. Like, no, he can like we he like paints pictures that we frame around the house, you yeah. know, and 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 giving them the freedom to do the things that they're great at as well and totally. not being like, well, he's doing this so you should do this, which Exactly. Every kid is different and like that is like to me the main job of parenting is just love on the kids, love on the kids all day long. You know what I yeah. mean? Or not all day long, but whenever you're there just so that they feel it, you know, and feel securely loved, unconditionally yeah. loved. Yeah. And I think that's such where so much confidence comes from too. Like I've mm-hmm. had people say to me, you know, you're, you're so confident. And I mean, believe me, I've got plenty of my own shit. But every day my mom told me every single day, I love you and you are so beautiful. Mm-hmm. Even when I was in puberty and I was not so beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> 
you know, but it always, every day I felt like, oh, I've got this, I've got this person who like supports me and, you know, I, I can do these things. That's so true. I felt the same way. Like both my parents, like, I love you. You can do anything. Mm-hmm. And I truly believe I can do anything. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, like deliriously so. Yeah. So like that's because I heard it from right. both parents, right. you know, or, you know, in my case, I had two parents, but just one parent, whatever it is. Like, I feel like just hearing, you know, hearing that you know, as a kid is so formative and transformative. Yes, I, I agree. So loved all of this. I mean, we could talk forever, but tell me what's next. Like what's, you're taking over the world. You're running for president. (laughs) Like what are, what are we doing next? (laughs) I, so I, you know, I do believe, you know, back to that sort of the the feminine energy. I I believe I, I want to help add that somehow to the, to the national conversation of just like, I do too. So sign me up with you. Let's do it. Like, (laughs) like how, how to show bringing that feminine energy to leadership, to institutions. And I don't really know yet what that looks like. So we have to keep talking, but in the meantime, we've got a short-term project of growing red clay to a household name and selling it. My goal is a hundred million dollars. So we'll see. (laughs) Just putting it out there. Are there any more product? Are you expanding the product line at all? We are. So we're launching Launching five. Um, so base, basically, what makes red clay different is most most hot sauces um, boil their peppers, and Jeff, being a chef, really wanted to like honor these beautiful local Fresnos when the original sauce. And he was like, "Well, in in in, in Spain, the way that they make beautiful olive oil is cold pressing that mm-hmm. first batch. So he cold pressed it the way, almost like a pepper juice. And then he was like, in California, you oak you you know oak age in in you know the the grapes to make beautiful wine. In the South, we drink bourbon." I'm at a bourbon barrel age right. with, you know, the high wire bourbon team are good friends of his and they gave him their old bourbon barrels. And he literally the first couple batches were in their old bourbon barrels, um, of our original red clay. And so coming at it from this chefy mindset, purely just to honor the most beautiful kind of flavor forward sauce actually produced a sauce that is unlike any other hot sauce on the market. So it's easy for me on the business side to sit down with the Whole Foods team and say, we're cold pressed, we're fermented, we're probiotic, there's no sugar, no junk, you know, and, and so, you know, the the leading with the chef kind of process was a, a benefit to differentiate us on the hot sauce shelf in the grocery aisle. And so, um, when you press cold press the sauce through the liquid through, you're left with this pepper mash. So we dehydrate it, and we started making seasoning blends with this dehydrated pepper oh, mash. Cool. Oh, so we've got a margarita salt coming out, a yum. spicy bloody mary salt, um, uh, what he calls red mash, which is like a barbecue rub, um, and then an everything but the bagel salt that's spicy. Oh, cool. So we have five seasonings coming out in so next, in May, and then um, we lo- just launched our pepper jelly in the holiday season, which sold out overnight, which was really exciting. So we're just bringing that back now. Um, and then I think more just, t- you know, I'm trying to not go too wide with new SKUs, but really just deep, like penetrate the market. Tabasco is a $350 million hot sauce business with, you know, Three or four, whatever. a couple of flavors, but mainly just the original is its yeah. bread and butter, right? Stick to what works. Yep. Yeah. Do it, and do so what you do and do it really damn good. Exactly. Yeah. There's a lot of, of um, movement to still have, you know, have had with our existing sauces and honeys. So that's awesome. Where Thank can you. we find your sauces where can we find the sauces locally where can we find you on instagram all that good stuff locally we are at whole foods and Publix and uh fresh market um and then uh also you go cheap cow carries us mercantile and mash um the preservation society on king um and um caviar bananas and then um 
I would say on our on our website redclayhotsauce.com and Instagram is redclayhotsauce as well. Yay! Thank, Thank you. you. So this is so fun. This was Thank so fun. You. Thank you guys so much for listening. Please go check out Molly Red Clay Hot Sauce. Um, I hope we do collaborate on something Me later. Too. Carter always does this. She's like, "You're gonna love her. You're gonna want to be your best friend." And I'm like, "Here we are. I'm gonna <laughs> hear about it all friends. day." Yeah. <laughs> We're so, best friends. <laughs> but um, if you guys liked this, um, I, which I hope you do, please share it with your friends. Rate us, review us, and we will see you soon. 